For those of you growing increasingly concerned about the security of your IT infrastructure, this episode talks about the concept of an MSSP, Managed Security Service Provider. Uh, I think you're really going to like what we talk about. You could restore Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me the guy who I've finally experienced what his dog is named after, Persona Maliati. <laughs> What's going on, Curtis? I know. You you really I, weren't I, sure where I, what I was going So I thought going you were going to go there, for it? like your stair consultant or... Something no, like no, that, but no. no, I think that's a good thing. So, no, I've I I got to experience uh, yep. Kulfi Indian ice cream. Um, yeah, yeah, that was quite because uh, we went to this new uh, place, uh, and and I and I shouldn't should I say Indian food or should I say Himalayan food or I because uh, it was a taste of the Himalayas. It, it could be well. It could be like Indian or Nepalese. Typically, those are yeah, Nepal, yeah. Nepalese. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they had, yeah. but they had vindaloo. Although um, it, it was funny, I you know I went. I think I told you I went once, and I, I got a seven out of ten, and it was like it might as well have been <laughs> ice cream as far as I was. You like really spicy, Curtis. Peppery standpoint. And so I said to the, I went back to the waitress. We literally went just a couple of days later. Oh, you went back? Really I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We went back. And I said, I said, you know, I had a seven the other day and it was nothing. Like, I need more than that. And she's like, she looked at me like, don't, you can have an eight. <laughs> like, like, I was because I was going to go for the 10. I'm like, if that's a seven, I'm going to go for the 10. She's like, I'll let you have an eight, you know? And I was like, you know what? You're not in charge of me. And how was the eight? Um, but I had an eight. It, it was definitely, it had more bite to it than the seven. But I don't know. I've had like authentic Indian vindaloo with, with authentic Indian spices. This doesn't taste like that. Well, I, um, I, I want to say and, that each region probably know. does their spices slightly differently based on what they have access to. Yeah, there's that. This is why I asked you the question about whether or not it's cheating just to throw in a little cayenne. And it yeah. sounds like it is because I tasted yeah. cayenne. I was like, I, I'm pretty sure they put cayenne in to, just to make it a little hotter. Um, and But then um, you ended with dessert, which was, was you know, the mango. Oh, right. Which we, yeah. Yes. And the mango kulfi. And I was like, kulfi. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I finally got to see what kulfi yeah. so was. So he was named kulfi because when we were adopting him, uh, we called up my sister, and she was really hungry that day, and so on her mind was food. So she started naming off Indian foods like chutney and sambar and mixture and jalebi and kulfi. And so my wife and I, we decided kulfi was an awesome name, and it works <clears> well <throat> for him. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I know he's he's been on the podcast yeah. a few times. Um Mainly just sort of barking and <laughs> yes, a couple times <laughs> wanting wanting yes. to be on your lap, right? <clears throat> yeah. 
Well, <laughs> our guest has 25 years of experience working in the networking, telecommunications, and information security space. Uh, he's currently serving as the CEO of Soul Cyber Managed Security Services. We're excited to have him on the pod. Welcome to the podcast, Scott McCready. Thank you, Curtis and Prasanna. Very nice to meet both of you. Um, I actually, I was just to pivot off your food conversation. I actually spent a year in Thailand when I was younger. Mm. I was a volunteer English teacher. And uh, I remember my very first meal there. I, I thought I was used to hot food. I mean, I grew up in <laughs> Dallas, uh, so, you know, jalapenos and stuff. <laughs> so they asked, do you want it hot, medium, or mild? And I thought, you know, I'll be safe. I'll, have, I'll, I'll get medium. Uh, it was, um, I don't know if you've ever gotten the hiccups from having food too hot, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I immediately, you know, two or three bites into it, I'm sweating <laughs> profusely. And then just out of the blue, you just get this, these hiccups that for like two or three minutes. And, and that's when I realized that, uh, Thai hot food is a different level of hot food oh, yeah. than what I'd, uh, what I've gotten used to. I've been, out. I've been to, uh, Phuket and I just remember I was, I was hanging out with a local and I asked them to order two dishes, one that they felt was, you know, for the wimpy American, but still spicy and one that they would eat. And I would try the one that they would eat. And if I couldn't eat it, then we would swap dishes. And I just touched the tongue, the, touched the spoon to my tongue. And I, my head blew off and I was like, yeah. swap, swap, swap. I, I, can't, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Un, for, 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 for my palate, uh, the sticky rice and mango as a dessert was amazing. I could live. Um, chicken fried rice uh, with a beer was about as good as you're ever <laughs> going to get. Uh, and I love their stir fries and their curries, but I generally had to tell them to, to take it down a notch because um, I could I could eat decently spicy food. I thought it's a different but, level uh, right. sometimes. Um, yeah. It is just a different. It, it's a different level. It is a different yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious, by the way. I never, never been to a Thai restaurant in America that's been able to recreate that unique flavor. No, that's the problem. This is why no one should travel, right? <laughs> um, so, so, so uh, because you know, you live in you live in Texas. I live in San Diego. I can get decent uh, Texas style barbecue here, uh, but it's not that. It's not what you can get there. Um, and I will definitely tell you, no one here knows what a beef rib looks like, right? An actual Texas beef rib. Yes. Like, yay. It's, it's yeah. two and a half pounds, yeah. right? It's one yeah. rib. It's two and a half pounds. And, of um, deliciousness. Of sweet, <laughs> sweet deliciousness is what yeah. it is. Um, uh, yeah. You know, we've already, we talked before the recording that, you know, that I did this, this barbecue road trip with my wife uh, there just right when, COVID was starting to die down just a little bit. Uh, and we did this little road trip and, uh, made a little YouTube video of each stop. And, um, yeah, but, th but this is the problem. Like, I, like I've been to new Orleans, I've had Cajun food in new Orleans. It mm. nowhere is it as good as it is there. Um, mm. Indian food in India, I've had Indian food in India. Right. Um, and made one big mistake there. I was at a, I was at a buffet and I managed to put, um, a big scoop of chutney. That's your problem. On my plate, based on thinking it was, I thought it was a main, and um, mm. so I put a big, big scoop of it in my mouth. Uh, ah, ah! You know, didn't burn my mouth off. It's just it's a really Ooh. strong flavor, right? It's it's something you're supposed to dab on, yeah, not eat as a main meal. 
That's both the joy and the, uh, like if you ever get a chance to go to uh, uh, Holland, their um, their food there, the 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 Thai, the uh, Indonesian food, right? Um, uh, the 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 rice the rice dishes, those are really good. Um, looks like we've oh, lost our guest. He just went to go look after his pup. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> how, so, how is the? I told you guys this was going to happen. He literally has been perfect today. And uh-huh. now he just threw his, his bone underneath the couch, which, of course, he can't get to it because he doesn't have opposable thumbs. And uh, right. the only time he tends to freak out is if, he, if, his, if one of his toys or his bone gets underneath something. And then he'll, you know, and call for he me. He said he's, yeah. he's six, six months old? Eight months old. Did you old. get him as eight a puppy? Eight months old. His name, I did. He is, uh, I, I traveled all my whole life. And so I haven't had to be able to have a dog yeah. for, you know, a long time. So... You know, I was like, I'm going to yeah. get a dog. I finally, I'm not traveling as much. I'm not going overseas, all this jazz. And, uh, oh, my goodness, he's a blast. So much fun. Such a sweet boy. Good puppy. You, you know, all dogs are nice, but for yeah. me, he's easy because he's, he's, okay. he's not too crazy. Yeah. It's cra- It's sort of the yeah. luck of the draw, right? <laughs> that it yep. is. You got to love him no matter what, right? But uh, I did. <laughs> I did get lucky. Awesome. Good for you. So we're going to talk about, um, you know, one of our favorite topics today, which is uh, security. Um, And I honestly, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to manage information security in today's today's world. Oh, Um, I was going to tell you, you wait, before you go, what? I finished the book, Cuckoo's Cuckoo's Egg. What? Oh, you finished yeah. the cuckoo's egg? <laughs> Sorry, I totally forgot to tell you. Since, but we're talking Goodness about security gracious. now. So for those who haven't read it, right. go read The Cuckoo's Egg by Chris Stoll. It's a really good book. Yeah. It's, or sorry, Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Stoll. Stoll. Yeah, it's a really good book. It's from the 80s about, uh, what would you say? An IT person trying to find a hacker. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating story of he's he's a, a Unix sysadmin at Berkeley. It's a true story. He's a Unix sysadmin at Berkeley University. And they had, um, this was when the Unix computers, like university Unix computers, would bill for time. And they had both the onboard, like the native time system, and they That's had the, the um, and they yeah. had a commercial one. And they were... They were off by 75 cents. cents. And he, yeah, yeah, that's what it was, 75 cents. And so he just went as a project just because, um, and he ended up, you know, uncovering uh, hackers. And this is before um, that was considered a crime. So like like he goes to the FBI and the FBI is like, well, did they steal yeah. anything? Is it more than a million dollars? They're like, no. Nope. Do they steal classified information? Yeah, nope. Yeah, exactly. They're like, not our problem. Yeah, it's yeah. It is a fascinating story, and where it ends up is, yeah. you know, it. I I think it just it just yeah. gets better and better as the. Story I think everyone unfolds. should read that book if you're into um, security and you want to see how it was done, like in the heydays, right? In the very very early days before all of this stuff actually happened, read the book. Back when I had brown hair. <laughs> Go read the book. Um, it's, Scott, yeah. have you have you ever read that book? 
I haven't, but I uh, I typed it in while you guys were talking, so it will be. Uh, yeah, I'm a it voracious is, reader, so I will. It's, uh, it is on the list. It's it is it is a you know it's written as a as a story. Yeah. Right. Um. And you know it's in a day before monitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he has a he has a printer yeah. and nobody, he has a printer that's printing like he puts in honey pots and mm-hmm. and he's sleeping in the yeah. data center and, and to, to listen yeah. for the and printer the best part going is off. he's an astronomer astronomer by education right by education yeah, yeah but those were just the days where people just got in and started yeah. you know doing that i mean it's actually not that different than today but yeah. you know back then it was so, pretty uh it was yeah. all, it so was highly all recommend reading that book. And the reason I brought it up is because we are talking about security and it just uh, right. hit me. I was like, oh, I got to remember to tell Curtis. Yeah, Scott Scott was like, why are we talking about a book called Cuckoo's Egg? Um, so, well, we covered so, yes. barbecue, spicy food, and books, which are three of my favorite things. So There you go. Right, can, we call, can we call the podcast a success? Exactly. We, we could cover beer if you'd like. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I made beer for a few years, uh, so we could talk about that as well. So, <clears throat> I mean, but but let me let me ask you this: besides what I see as the ever present worry of ransomware, <laughs> mm-hmm. what else uh, are are today's IT departments worried about? From a security perspective, well, <laughs> I think um, that's a great question. Actually, I don't know if I've ever been asked that question because they'll say, "What you know?" Question or what? What keeps people up at night? But outside of ransomware, I think you know, Curtis. I think if you were to synthesize right this thing down, is ransomware is the uh, threat of the day, or it's the term that everybody knows. Yeah. But ransomware now is really sort of morphed into lots of different things, and so. Um, you get there's terms like double ransomware. Um, yeah. There's uh, obviously the, the information gets uh, stolen. And so what's happening is just extortionware. Uh, and so what's happened is just the process of people getting into organizations uh, is causing this ability because of the threat is really sort of morphed into sort of what we call threat as a service or tax as a service or hacking as a service. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room to go hack somebody now. You can literally just point and click. There's there's wind, you know, things that look like Windows applications. You can install a widget, and all of a sudden you can start hacking for almost nothing and not really know what you're doing besides if you can move a mouse around. So the whole threat landscape has changed. Ransomware tends to get the notice because there's notifications. Um, for a lot of the larger companies, it's a way of getting payments out. But when you start talking about the overall small, medium enterprise um, and just the massive number of companies that the, the U.S. has specifically, um, once somebody's inside the organization, they've got uh, the ability to wire. Uh, so wire fraud is huge. Um, they take over, taking over an account uh, and do an extortion based on uh, components that you have in your account. Uh, so there's all these different sort of knock-on effects to customers once they're breached. And what, or I guess happens. you're talking about the knock-on effects. I guess even once they breach one of these, say, small, medium businesses, they could use that also as a launching point to attack other organizations as well, right? Kind of bring in the you're right on the money. It's called it's supply chain risk, right? And that supply chain risk, the classic is the HVAC company that you know got was the mechanism was the mechanism to get into Target, 
Uh, right. And so those those small medium organizations can actually be the threat vector into uh, a, a future knock on. In target. fact, a lot of the attacks we've seen, right, have been less about the actual organization, more about like a vendor or someone else or a third party who had access to a company, which then allowed the attacker. And like, if I go back and think Curtis about like the Okta hack, right, was a third party, right, that had access to Okta. Yeah. And that was, wasn't that one, Scott, where they didn't necessarily do anything, right? They just showed that they got access. They showed some screenshots. Do you remember the this one, Scott? I don't know if that one specifically. Um, what you do see with a lot of the service providers, um, and you just saw it with LastPass, is there's a variety of reasons why uh, an organization would get would breach. And so it could be the, just the consumption of the underlying data. So if it's a nation state, they literally are just building profiles on, you know, people in entities and organizations in the U.S. Um, so it could just be a theft. Uh, it could be ransom. It could be financial. Um, or it could be uh, to leave code behind or leave breaches behind that they can then um, weaponize at some point in time in the future. Uh, and so as, as an example, in the past year, uh, you've seen about plus minus about four times as many zero days in the last 12 months than you saw in the last four years combined. Wow. And so um, a lot of those appear to have already been, obviously, uh, they were already known, no, sorry, not known. They were already created, but they hadn't been used yet because they were, being, they were waiting to use those when the time was right. And so you, you see these patterns that emerge based on what's happening around the world, um, what's happening in the economy, uh, or if they're what uh, organizations or nation states want to accomplish. And, and that's sort of, you see this wave of threat patterns of which ransomware is, is obviously fitting inside of that. Um, but when you look at something like a zero day, you're not usually going to use that on a mid-tier ransomware. That's company. interesting. Yeah, I never would have thought like yep. sort of stockpiling your zero days, right? And then using it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. But isn't that like if you, so, so what you're saying, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. So someone develops an exploit that is unknown to anyone but themselves and then they're just sitting there waiting for the right moment to use it. Is that? That is exactly what I'm saying. Wow. Yep. Because I would think that once they get an exploit, they'd want to use it right away before anybody finds out about it and patches it and whatnot. Not if not if you're a nation state, Curtis. Um, you want to keep these in your back pocket. Now, some of these are against, uh, you got to remember, and, and there's a lot of different verticals that are targets. You've got... Um, Infrastructure, pipelines, as an example. You've got um, systems that um, operate IoT. So there's a lot of different areas. So when you talk about zero days, we tend to think like zero day on a Windows machine. But the um, but the the spectrum of what can have a zero day is actually quite large because so many connected machines are out there. That's yeah, um, fascinating. I I, I actually never even. Never even thought but I guess the one downside of sort of um, keeping it in your back pocket is someone may discover the exploit or the bad code, right? And go and patch it before you get it. But like you said, it's like if it's existed around for a while, maybe no one's going to notice it. And it's probably a risk that they're willing to take, right? Yeah. And again, it really is organizational dependent. So if you're, if you are a, uh, threat acting organization that's really designed around making money, you're probably going to use it relatively quickly, um, get your money. If you are a nation state, 
targeting infrastructure than you may hold in your back pocket because it may not be super common to find uh, that zero day inside a piece of infrastructure, right? Uh, mm. A zero day in Windows obviously <laughs> is, is you know, the golden goose in a lot of cases. So each of the systems and the goals of the underlying uh, technology and the underlying organization dictates the use of how the different attacks are done. One of the things in most of the conversations talk about uh, malicious activities, by the way, because that's what sort of everyone's used to. Like they think about the virus on the machine. But really, in today's world, a significant amount of the attacks, and especially the damaging ones, start um, with known username and credentials. And so about 60 to 70 percent of the actual um, more damaging attacks actually start from the fact that somebody harvested Scott McCready's credentials, and now the bad actors are logging in as Scott McCready. So um, now they may in the future drop a piece of code, or they may put a file list uh, executable up in memory that's downloading stuff from the internet. But because we spend so much time talking about malicious attacks and zero days and things like that, it actually does, I think, obfuscate from the fact that there's a whole breadth of breaches that start from the fact that the bad actors are logging in. So like this is like phishing means. attacks and things well, like lo- that, that give their... Well, no, not even that. So let's, so imagine a phishing attack that says, hey, you know, yeah. um, re-log into Azure AD. You click on the button, you put your username and password in. It says, thank you. Now they have your username and password. Yep. They log in as Scott McCready. How do you know that that's not me, right? Because they just logged in as me. So um, I guess my point being is we talk a lot about malicious, which we should, malicious code, but there's a whole world around um, trying to protect organizations from um, legitimate access. Do you you know what the split in your mind, what the split between those two categories would be? Like are most of it through the harvesting credentials side of things and sort of less of it around the malicious attacks. Yeah. 60 to 70% of the, uh, of the more significant breaches start with harvest with some sort of harvested credential. And it's funny. You, you said that literally like the question that I was going to ask you before you started talking about this. Um, so I say a lot that if everyone just use good password uh, rules, right? Which is like not using the same username and password everywhere, um, using MFA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and having a decent password, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not using him, or I'm sorry, and, and use MFA. If, if just everybody did those two things, mm-hmm. it would stop a significant portion of the attacks out there. What do you think about that? If somebody says, what's the one thing I can do, I would say turn on MFA. Yeah. Now, there's ways of getting around it. Uh, you know, there's there's more elegant means. Most people still think of like the, the yeah. phone messages, uh, but some of the authenticators tied into, you know, some of the major products these days um, are, are a lot more seamless than what people probably think they are. Uh, so um, it to your point, Curtis, yeah. When I get asked, what's the one thing you do? I'm like, turn on MFA. It's it's yeah. Now, there are ways, again, to get through that, but it is a massive uh, benefic- uh, benefit. So let me, let, me, let me tell you something, uh, Scott. There's a, there's a new movie that's in the theaters right now called Missing. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, a sequ- it's a standalone sequel to the movie Searching. And both of them okay. have the same premise where it's, um, where it's somebody's searching, looking for somebody that's disappeared and they're doing it all on the computer screen and the whole, the whole movie's the computer screen. And, mm-hmm. and in this movie, one of the plot, you know, developments is that the, the character figures out how to hack into 
an account, right? And this mm -hmm. person, um, then th then they're able to get into every other account because they use the same username and password on every one of the accounts and not one mm -hmm. of them had MFA turned on, <laughs> right? Yeah. The movie would have been a lot shorter if, uh, yes. if they had a lot less drama if they got caught after five minutes. And uh, thank you for yeah. the bucks. But I, I literally, uh, the, the best part is the person that they were able to uh, do this to is a security specialist. Yeah, of course. Of course. Welcome to Hollywood. I, I, uh, I lived in, uh, I lived in, uh, you know, overseas uh, in a few places and uh, there Let's just say that the uh, viewpoint of Americans was very Hollywood centric. So, you know, they'd be like, you know, are our gangs just running wild <laughs> and shooting people on this? We're like, no, no, you know, that's not, I guess, not happening. Um, and so Hollywood does tend to. I don't know if you guys remember this yep. movie called Swordfish, where Hugh Jackman oh, early yeah. days, and like he's like dancing in his chair as he's hacking into stuff with like seventy five screens up in front of him. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly that is literally exactly <laughs> the way it goes down. That's that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, the, it's funny. I, I, I gave up like criticizing movies uh, for the most part mm -hmm. for that stuff. Uh, and, and more like applauding when they actually get it, uh, correct. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Um, which, which is not, which means I don't have to do it very often. So, yeah. So, so you said MFA and I, I, well, let, let me, um, so we, we talked about last pass uh, and by the way, we did a whole episode on LastPass a couple weeks ago. And and the thing for us, by the way, that, that's interesting about the LastPass story is, is it was their backup system that ultimately mm -hmm. uh, was the result of the, it was the, you remember it was a two-phase hack, mm -hmm. right? right? And it was that they ended up being able to access the backup system and get, get, at, get their hands on the, you know, the, um, what do you call that? The what vault. What do you call that? The, um, the vault. I was going to use a, like a. Anyway, uh, sometimes I'm sorry. English is not my first language. Oh wait, it is. Um, but yeah, that having having said that, I am still a huge fan of password managers. Um, and I, I'm just curious if you have a if you have a, a an alternative to that. If you what what do you think about password managers? Yeah, I mean, absolutely necessary. Uh, we're going to move away from passwords, so it's going to become a password at some point world, right? Um, in the future, but obviously, in today's world, you know, you got to have a password manager. Uh, but the and the reality is, is that uh, the the joke that we were just making about the Hollywood folks, but it's it's not an uncommon situation where uh, you know the passwords are used more often, you know, no, more often, and so not. they're like, well, have the have the twenty you know, letter and number and all that stuff. But again, the way that that's usually uh, received is from a breach from somewhere else or they they harvest it, right? And so to your point around MFA, changing your passwords, things along those lines, um, a lot of the work that we do is around securing organizations, uh, obviously from malicious activity, but also from legitimate login via nefarious actors. And so there's there's outside of... of um, just looking for malicious code dropped on machines. There's ways to, to look at seeing what people are doing, how they're writing, what things that they're they're taking care of. So imagine that somebody logs in as, as Scott or Curtis, and they're looking at emails and they want a wire done. This is super common. They'll send a, an email message to someone saying, "Hey, this is Scott. Please send this wire to here. Here's the information." We, there's ways of detecting that now, um, and to go, "Okay, that there's almost no chance that Scott, even though 
they've used Scott's name, password. He's logged in as him. Uh, maybe it's from a different location than he usually is. There's a lot of his style. Maybe he doesn't put deer mm -hmm. in his you know response emails almost never. I mean, there's all these things that can trigger um, that we spend a lot of time on to try to make sure that we can uh, help secure organizations. Past guests on the podcast who've talked about that sort of thing, right? Being able to detect these patterns is sort of fine tuning for each environment. It's sort of complex. And when you end up with a lot of false positives, it's almost like the boy who cried wolf, right? At some point, people hmm. just start to ignore those. So how do you go about this? Prasanna, I'm going to, I'm going to slip you a 20 after this for leading me, <laughs> leading into my, uh, my spiel here. Uh, no, I, I, so I spent 20 years in the MSSP space, right? I, I helped build out um, the largest MSSP in the world, built out their APJ business and then ran their global MSSP business as with Symantec, um, helped build FireEye Mandiant's MSSP business. Uh, and we call it alert fatigue. And so the standard model uh, is uh, you have a person or people, especially in the large enterprise, right? They have to weed their way through the 30, 4,500 security vendors, figure out which of them um, look interesting, do proof of concepts on the top two or three, land on one, sign the contract, pay the upfront payment, put the, all this stuff in place. And then when they're done, they kick a bunch of data over to the MSSP. MSP looks through it all and then sends over alerts going back saying, hey, this is informational. This is a warning, which means, I don't know, it could be something bad, could not be bad. I don't know. This one looks critical. looks like there's something bad, but we can't do anything about it. Here's some things you can go check. Um, and that model to me was very broken. And so, especially in the mid-market, uh, and so we took a very different approach and tried to take the lessons learned from 20 years uh, of doing this for the Global 1000 and uh, trying to deliver something that is much less alert fatigue and much more uh, what we call practical security that uh, allows organizations to have really, truly, you know, Fortune 500 level nation state grade security, but tone down the noise and actually just solve the problems as they come up, keep the breaches from happening, detect because them. Because especially in these companies, organizations, I should say, they may not have like the same level of security experts as you would in those like global 1000s, right? And so may they not. probably don't. <laughs> well, every once in a while, maybe they've yes. spent enough money to hire away the right set of folks, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very, so what you tend to find in the, so when we built Soul Cyber, we explicitly said we wanted to target the mid-market because they struggled to get access to the capabilities. And when the capabilities are a combination of, of the classic people process and technology, but a lot of the best in class tech, they don't really sell it below 2000 users, 2000 employees. It's kind of hard to get your hands on it. Mm. Um, the stuff we use for user behavioral <clears> analysis, <throat> if you're below 10,000 employees, you're never, you're, you're not even going to use it. It's too complex. It's too heavy. Um, and so uh, it's just hard um, to get a hold of the tech. The second thing is, is the right people. And so, you know, you're 400 employees, you may have two or three folks total, right? <laughs> One person who may be super savvy at security or maybe actually just a good IT person. And so how do they work their way through this massive mound of security stuff to figure out what actually secures the organization? Or you have somebody who's super, super smart. They really understand security. They don't have the people to manage it, the time to put it all in place. To or do even budgets. Concepts. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. and then the third one is the budget, right? Is you know, these up for um, so that you're, you're hitting it on the head. So two things. One is uh, time for me to do our no. disclaimer. <laughs> uh, Prasanna and I work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva. 
And this is a, this is an independent podcast, not a podcast by the company. And the opinions that you hear are ours. And um, also, if you want to join the conversation, reach out to me at wcurtispreston uh, at Gmail or at wcpreston on Twitter. And, um, you know, join the conversation. Also, be sure to rate us. Go to your favorite. Uh, most of you, it looks like you're listening on uh, uh, Apple, you know, uh, podcasts, uh, just scroll down to the bottom and you can give us, you know, six stars. If you can give us six <laughs> stars, that'd be great. Um, by the way, you were, you were talking about, uh, fatigue, right? So I just yesterday, so I use, um, uh, Zapier, like an automated tool. And I've been playing around with it, uh, of doing Reddit searches and, um, you know, just play, you, you have to be careful with Reddit searches cause you can get a lot. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to pick one of our, without saying who it is, one of our competitors who has a very unique name that isn't going to show up anywhere other than discussions about them. And so mm-hmm. I put them in and uh, on the video, uh, I'm going to take this out, but this is today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I can't imagine if those were security things that I had to actually mm-hmm. reply to. That's right. Right. No, guys, it literally came up on a conversation with a customer today is they said, how do you get around this? And we actually spent a lot of time talking through how we uh, really streamline the alerts um, and the responses to make it much more practical because they, they'd used an MSSP in the past. And they're like, it was just like they gave me more work. They didn't save me time. They made my life. They made my life worse. By the way, I should have I should have made you do this before. But what is an MSSP? Ah, managed security service provider. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And what and does it do? What, yeah. what is that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great question. It started out um, historically, if you, you know, if you guys, we were t- talking about the eighties before uh, when firewalls and IDSs came out, large organizations had NOCs. Network operations center. Yes, sir. And so if you think of somebody like an EDS or an IBM, they had these big, beautiful bu- buildings that showed that the network was all up and running and online and all that jazz. Uh, when all of a sudden these firewalls and IDSs, intrusion detection systems, started generating lots of data, nobody <laughs> knew what to do with them. There was no system to dump that data into, right? And so um, your first security operations center was, one, who manages the firewall and the IDS, just from a day-to-day care and feeding. But two, the, you, you generate the data in order to do something with it. And so um, the process of gathering up that data and running analytics against it was really the foundation of the first MSSP. And that, that contrasts with an MSP, which is a managed service provider, and these get confused often. An MSP is basically looking after your IT, right? Do you have your laptop set up? Is your email turned on? Um, that is not what an MSSP does. And somebody like us, um, which is a specialty MSSP, we really focus on the threat and trying to keep organizations protected you know, against the threat. So we don't, you know, we don't manage firewalls. There's tons of infrastructure companies and MSPs that do that. We'll take a data feed from your firewalls, for instance. Uh, and that's really the core difference. So when you get this feed, then are you basically acting? So are you acting on that data or are you sort of crunching it, looking at patterns, anomalies, et cetera, and then spitting it back to the customer's uh, security operations center? Right. That's the standard model. What Prasanna, we built something very different. What we did was we said um, for a mid-market company, which we consider 100 users up to about 200 employees, uh, there's a set of stuff everybody needs to secure their environment. We call it Mm -hmm. foundational coverage. Uh, And if you look at the kill chain, the Lockheed Martin kill chain, 
There's a big one. There's a small one. Um, there's a standard set of activities that a malicious actor goes through in order to breach an organization and then either lock up the data or exfiltrate the data. And so in order to protect against that, you need about eight different things. What we did was we went out and used the tools that we'd been using at you know, these big, big companies. And we put those into a package that we call foundational coverage. And we sell that to an organization and it's all inclusive. So you get your, inst- your implementation, you get your licensing, you get your management, you get your monitoring, uh, you get your detection and you get your response. Um, and so our model is very different because the tech stack that underlines a lot of the problems and the breaches is not under the control of the MSSP. It's mm-hmm. under the control of the customer. Um, in our view, especially in the mid-market, is they weren't getting best-in-class tools. We used to joke that they've got AV and a firewall, and that's not going to protect uh, people in today's world. And so think of next-gen EPP EDR capabilities. Think you're of user have, behavioral analysis. You're going to have to define that acronym. EPP EDR is basically endpoint protection and endpoint detection and response. And so think of a really high-end piece of code running on a machine that allows, one, to detect if somebody's changed a a process on the machine and two allow someone like us to get onto that machine and fix it. If something malicious is happening, uh, user behavioral analysis, UEBA, um, process of mapping out if people are doing weird, random things that <laughs> appear abnormal. Like, so there's like all suddenly these things. uploading a lot of data from somewhere. Perfect example. And so these, these components, we actually sell per user per month. Now, each of these components, usually you have to pay up front for, you have to deploy them. You have to do a POC on them. And then you have to obviously uh, sell, you know, uh, manage them and detect and all that stuff. So what we do is very different, Prasanna, is we sell all of that. Now, on top of that core set of stuff that protects every company, there's a lot of other things that people can send to us. We call them data feeds. We, we take data feeds from like 400 different technologies. And we'll use that as context. Okay. We'll correlate all the data um, and, and things like that. So that's how we do things differently. So l- a little confused there um you it sounds like some of the things a person needs to protect their environment you provide and some that they're providing uh so help me understand that we draw the line between what we consider in, in infrastructure and mm-hmm. then threat and so what we provide is is all cloud-based capable but they're tools that land on the endpoint. And so we start at the user and we say, how do we protect the user and the identity? Um, and things that encompass all of that are included in the service. But if, if, a, if, an, if a customer said, hey, I've got 400 employees and I've got two offices and my employees are most of the time at the house, but sometimes come to the office. And at the office, we have a firewall. Um, we're like, great, we'll take a data feed from your firewall, but we're not going to sell them a firewall and implement a firewall because generally speaking, we consider that infrastructure. Traditionally, it was sort of security, but a lot of that type of stuff has moved over to an infrastructure team. So whoever's handling their routers, switches, and laptops can mm-hmm. usually also deploy the firewall. And that's how we define it. Just to finish the thought here. And what about what about servers infrastructure and, and mm-hmm. cloud infrastructure? But what about, because it sounds like you're focusing on the endpoint. What about that other part of the infrastructure? Uh, so servers, we consider an endpoint. Uh, so we can okay. take what we're doing uh, on you know, Scott's machine and do it at, at a server, which most of our customers do. Uh, and then cloud, great question. There's essentially two types of security for the cloud. Uh, the first one is threat. 
So we can actually take a data feed from every cloud provider's security uh, tools toolkit. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the cloud watchers, what have you. We can take a data feed and we have a bunch of analytics we run against that. The second piece is um, a more sophisticated layer of security in the cloud. And so there's tools that can be deployed into the cloud. So there's a, there's a concept called uh, cloud security and posture management. So a lot of your big breaches have happened because somebody left the front door open to their storage. <laughs> um, and so what this does is in real time looks for a change in that posture that says that that's now probably an open, uh, an open service or an open storage uh, container. Uh, and so there's tools that can be deployed deployed there. And we offer all those. We call those extended coverage options because okay. not every customer has a sophisticated cloud infrastructure. Uh, and so we don't put that in foundational because not every customer needs it. Uh, but uh, we do offer those as extended capabilities. Do you support, okay. like, I know you talked about server, you talked about device, you talked about cloud. What about SaaS services? Mm -hmm. Like, are there things you do around Microsoft 365 and other services like Salesforce, et cetera? Yeah. Great question. So the majority, probably 80% of our customers are, are have a cross-section of things. That cross-section tends to be uh, mostly remote with some some small offices, very SaaS heavy, right? Um, and on Office 365. That would be like, if you were to say, here, draw the circle, right? 80% would sort of land there. And first of all, Office 365 provides a lot of amazing identity telemetry. So we scoop all that up and we uh, we tie it into the back end so that we can actually get the ID telemetry and correlate that. So it's like the data stream that we talked about with so the first firewalls, of, similar to that. You just get a data stream. Exactly. And, and part of the reason why that matters is, and this goes back to the whole alert fatigue and noise, and that it's very common in a lot of situations where the MSSP is saying something like 10.10.10.7, we think has a problem sort of like this. These are the four things you need to go check. And then Persona or Curtis, you guys go run off and check it and you come back and say, I'm not sure. And then you contact us and we go back and forth. What we're doing is we're switching that and we're trying to say, um, Scott McCready and his machine have a problem. And we know that based on the identity data, the machine data, the user data. Oh. Um, and, and, and this is how we solve that gotcha. problem. So because we track the user yeah. instead of the IPs and all of other things. And it sounds like you're able to uh, actually stop it, that you can, you can actually affect the change necessary. We can. So we do. So one of the frustrating parts of, of security is these words get sort of <laughs> used by everybody. And so there's a concept called response. And so a lot of companies are not what I would call, they're being disingenuous in the fact that they say they do response. But what they really are doing is notification. They're saying, hey, we think we, we, think we detected something and we're sending <laughs> you a notification. They call that response. Uh. What we do is actual response. So if we, are, if we see uh, a hash on a process change that we know should never change, we're going to go back there and try to quarantine that process, quarantine that machine. We're going to do something if we can. Uh, and that's, that's a fundamental difference about what we do. Because again, if you're looking at the mid-market, do they have the people that know how to go research and track that down and, and do what they need to do? Oftentimes not. So let me ask you this. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to preface my statement slash question <laughs> with, with the following statement. I have never bought a security product in my life. 
Okay. Like for <laughs> IT infrastructure. Okay. Right. Um, <clears throat> obviously some stuff's from my own stuff. Right. But not nothing mm-hmm. for a company. Uh, I looked at your pricing model. Mm-hmm. Um, first I did uh, one of the simplest pricing models I've ever seen. Uh, I like that. One skew. <clears throat> What's that? What, one exa- skew. Exactly. <laughs> Customers don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that I choked a little when I saw the number. Um, mm. That's why I'm saying I preface this with I've never paid for anything like this before. Mm. Um, it, it it just seemed like a lot be, because it was per user, right? I believe the current mm. it was current was $57, I think, per user. $57. Yep. Right. So I'm sitting here going, so if I have, so you're going for the mid market, I've got 500 mm-hmm. employees. I'm going to be paying you $25,000 a month. Uh, that seems like a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Help me understand how that compares. How to- that's not, a, that's not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's a great question. First of all, I w- it's funny because as far as I know, we're one of the only companies that actually puts our pricing on our website. Uh, yeah. So we have this thing, which we call, um, annoyances and we put make cartoons about it and so you'll go out to these security companies they'll like it'll be pricing you'll click on it and we like contact sales <laughs> yeah um, so we actually list out our pricing now i will say we have bands so we, and we don't list out every band because that'd just be sort of right. silly but um so obviously you know we're working with a company that's like four thousand employees you know the band's lower than 57 dollars. but candidly most come most of the time we sell our deals are at 57 dollars. and the way it breaks down is a very basic security stack, not even the stuff that we're doing. If you're a 200 employee company, you're going to run about $40 in license costs per user per year. I'm oh, sorry, for, per, per user per month, $40 just, and just the license. Just licensing. Okay. But all that licensing is going to be actual annual paid up front. So they, you don't get charged per user per month. You'd have to back into it. You say, well, I'm going to pay $100,000 divided by 200, you know, divided by 12. So most organizations pay around $40 for what we'd call, you know, relatively mid-tier cap- capabilities, you know, mid-tier tools. These aren't best. And that's just a software stack, right? Um, that, <laughs> just a software stack. And this is street price, by the way. This is all stuff we've purchased in our life that we actually know exactly. I mean, we got the, um, the things that we've, we've purchased. So that's before you get somebody that actually has to deploy it and manage it, has to, that's going to run the simulations, um, so that's before what we call care and feeding. Uh, care and feeding for a standard 200 uh, point company for, a, again, a basic security stack is a person. It's a body. Uh, in today's world, call it $100,000, $125,000 um, for, you know, a semi uh, for a competent IT person. Uh, so there you go right there, right? So you're already over 57. That's before you get into detect and response. So that's before you actually take all that data out of there and run it into a 24 by 7 system. And then, you know, responds at whatever, two in the morning and it actually fixes the problem. So we tend to be about 40 to 50% cheaper, believe it or not, um, to do this than actually trying to build it yourself. Uh, we also don't charge upfront fees. So we it, financially companies love it. And to give you a sense, an MSP that if you were, if you are a hundred or 200 person company, almost all of them use an MSP to manage their laptops and their, mm-hmm. you know, email and all that. They charge about 150 to 200 bucks per user per month to do all that. So, um, yeah, we tend to get very, one. very, you, yeah, we, we tend to get very, we're people who are very complimentary of the model. We, we, uh, businesses is, is relatively speaking pretty good. Wow. That's well, and just in my head, I'm going and thinking about, okay, 
So there was like you were talking about the MSP was like 100 to 150 a mm -hmm. user, right? Security mm -hmm. is like 50 a user, right? And then I started to think mm -hmm. about okay, backup, mm -hmm. and it's like backup is such a small yep. percentage of that. If you think about mm -hmm. right, but, right? yeah, that and that <laughs> yeah. that was the problem, Scott, because I'm comparing it to like what we charge, and you yeah. know we're, we're like a couple of dollars a user, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's not the same, you know, it's not the same. Right. Um, so yeah. that's, that's where my sticker shot came from. But I, I by the way, I, I am, you know, I, I get the thing that I work for a SaaS company and that of course I'm going to like the SaaS pricing model, but I really like the SaaS pricing model. You know, the, the, the oh, old, sure. the old way of three year contracts, I mean, the way you have to buy a, yeah, exact three year contracts, five year contracts having to, you know, on our, on our, in our world, I have to size everything, right? I have to mm -hmm. say, how big will my backups be in three years? No freaking mm -hmm. idea, right? right? And so I'm going to oversize it and overspend, and I have to buy it all mm -hmm. now, right? Yep. Um, and and ninety percent of it's going to go unused. We talked about the Netflix model, right, or your streaming service model of choice, which, but you all remember, I mean. Um, Curtis, you and I are probably older than Persona, which I, you know, we are, but I, we are like, we were probably technically savvy people. So I built a media server at one point in time. I went out and bought all my CDs or Blu-ray discs and I bought my media server and I got my Plex server and I sort of had quote unquote on demand entertainment, right? I built it all. Yeah. And then Netflix came around and basically said, Hey, we're going to do all that for you, stream it to you, give you a lot more choices and we're going to charge you nine ninety nine. And yeah. I was like, I don't really exactly. need my media. <laughs> I mean, I still have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's the security model right now. It's, I say it's all the time. It's lost in the 80s. You're going to, you got to still go build this crap all the time, pay up front, stitch it all together. Hopefully it works. Oh, by the way, we're not 4K. So now you got to change it all out. So the latest threat comes out and all of a sudden your current security stack doesn't work against it. And there's nobody that's actually solving that problem. And, and that's what and we're trying I think to solve. As soon as as soon as you said you had a and by the way my my media library or the hardware that comprised my mm -hmm. media library is right over there in a box <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's going to go somewhere because I had the same had the same exact thing. I think the other thing with the SaaS service, and I don't know if you do this as well, Scott. It's um, unlike in backup where you'd have to wait for like the patches to come out and then you'd have to deploy it across your entire infrastructure, and that takes time and scheduling. Mm -hmm. Right. With the SaaS service, a lot of times you get the benefits of, hey, it's easier to push updates and upgrades without having to sort of wait for some IT person to be like, yeah, let me go schedule these things. No, it's 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 true. So, again, we target mid-market and we we're very explicit about that. But one of the reasons is everything we do in the stack itself. So all these best in breed products are now all cloud based or on. They have both, well, some have both. Most of them are cloud have shifted so none of our stuff's on prem except for the stuff we have to put on just the actual endpoint itself uh and so it gives us this unique ability to up we update the service about every six months so as we see the threat change uh as we see something coming down the pipe uh as cyber insurance changes uh we just update the service um and as a foundational coverage customer it's included so you get on your quarterly business review and we say hey now you get you know we added in proactive threat you know uh, intelligence, blah blah blah. This is you. You, yeah. you now have access to it, so we Again, just turned that, it on. That Some is stuff the we beauty. Have to know about. That is the beauty of SaaS, my friend. Yep. Um, yep. We say the same thing. Um, I'm looking at, and we don't have time to cover all these things, but I'm just sort of scrolling through 
on Soul Cyber. By the way, tell me, uh, tell me what the story behind the name SOLcyber.com. So, uh, Sun. So it was basically, you know, a play on on Sun Cyber. Uh, and so obviously we're in Texas. It's warm. Um, and so the idea was really around the fact of Soul Cyber, Sun, Bright. Um, we wanted to be approachable. Um, approachability as a concept, you know this, and security is like, you know, here's the angry falcon as it sweeps down <laughs> upon you, right? Um, we didn't want to be a bird of prey because everybody's a bird of prey. Um, so we were trying to figure out, like, what's what's approachable? What's what's more uh, interesting? And what's our what's our tone of voice? And so we thought Soul Cyber was just a, a an approachable, bright, uh, airy type uh, company. I like name. it. And trademarkable, and you can get a you can get a uh, domain name. <laughs> so there's so that's always helpful. The domain um, name does come in handy. What's that? The domain <laughs> name is handy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so just curious, uh, um, do you have any advice for our our backup listeners, specifically, you know, with regards to protecting backup infrastructure? Uh, mm. You have any thoughts there? First of all, I mean, kudos to them because we do what we do because we really attack sort of the the threat aspect of life for our customers. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of um, runway organizations can get by doing what I call the basics, right? And so people are always asking me, like, what do you tell kids or young people about, like, being successful in a career or what have you? And I'm like, do the basics. Be nice. Show up on time. Like, be easy to get along with. And it's sort of the same when it comes to security, right? Confidentiality, integrity, and availability is the three pillars of, of security. We handle a piece of that. But the concept around, like, MFA and what we're going to talk about here, um, disaster recovery in the form of backups, if companies were to do that effectively uh, and manage it well, uh, a whole bunch of problems sort of get solved and a bunch of risk gets taken off the table. And so... Uh, the first thing I'd say is, is we tell everybody, you know, they, they need to have them done. They need to be tested. You probably need to use a service um, so that, you know, you take, again, you take some of that risk off the table. Do you really want to be checking your backups uh, yourself? And most com- most people don't. They no. just don't. They, they say they do, but they don't, right? They don't have the time. Life gets in the way. So um, it's absolutely critical, 100% mission critical to every organization. We recommend it. Um, a lot of the MSPs we partner with uh, do it on behalf of the customers, um, and uh, it's just something that is is you can't you cannot not do it in today's world. And you have to you do were, it. Yeah, no, we have we we have a, a Druva has a big MSP program now, um, yep. and so trying to roll that out. Um, by the way, our name came from it's North the Star. Sanskrit word for North Star. Um, mm. so we're leading the way. I don't know. <laughs> That's so you're after a sun. We're after a star. You got to pick something, right? Yeah. So, so something I know previously or earlier, we were talking about sort of how you map everything to users. When you go into these environments mm-hmm. with backup servers or with things that need to be backed up, do you consider that the same mm-hmm. as any other user device in the environment? Right. Where it is critical, it is important to make sure that's secure, right? Just like anything in probably it's actually more important to make sure that's very secure, just given all the data that's sort of associated with backups. Again, good question. So there's two answers to that um, is one you do actually. Uh, so there was there was if we back up, actually, and, and you all may remember these days, 
there was a really big push around information um, attribution and classification. And this mm-hmm. was maybe seven or eight years ago and EY and Accenture, all these guys were like, let's go classify all your information. And then we're going to have different security levels relative to the classification of the information. Super makes sense in, in, in life, right? But it's like trying to keep your Tupperware for, you know, organized. Like unless you're that company, it's going to be a mess relatively soon, even if you're a super organized uh, person. And so this whole concept around the classification of the underlying assets and information sort of fell by the wayside. Um, and so our view... <clears throat> is a much, um, again, we, we call ourselves practical security, is a much more practical view. So there's a set of tools that we deploy to every entity, right? Most of those are tied to a user, but the servers, backup servers, all that we deploy. And the second thing is we actually, in the onboarding process, we classify at a much more high level um, the different types of assets, right? And so, you know, CEOs, CFOs, like CFO, uh, if, if we see... Uh, certain types of emails going out from the CFO, they trigger faster than if we would see it going out from somebody else. Same thing comes to the underlying assets of the server. So if you are running a certain type of, of server and we see certain types of information going to it, we'll, we've already classified that at a high level and said, okay, that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's benign or that should never be happening. And so we actually have the ability to um, prioritize different types of assets um, and, and that does apply towards certain types of servers. Uh, gotcha. And I'm assuming that they would be able mm-hmm. to send a data stream from like your backup logs or the backup server to you guys to be able to detect. And Curtis, maybe this could be one way to catch. I know we talk a lot about ransomware and how it goes and deletes all your backups, right? If they sent you mm-hmm. a log of, hey, yeah. here's a data stream of events happening, right? That's probably something that could be flagged from a security perspective. You know, yep. it's a great question. I don't know. We actually do take... Um, logs from backup systems uh and we have we have correlated this is a great it's a great question prasanna i <laughs> it's now on my list with my cto on our one-on-one tomorrow um because we have the capability but i don't know i can't think of anybody yeah. having turned it because on, it'd be so. interesting um yeah but theoretically one of the yes that, we t- that we've seen at least in some cases is right hacker gets in they then go to the backup server. They disable all the jobs, of course. right? Yep. They delete all of them, and then mm-hmm. they delete all the backups that exist. Yep. And now That's you're right. screwed. <laughs> yep. And nobody's there. I mean, this is the reason why you do detect and response is literally that story. Now, you just yep. use it for backups. But at some point in time, there was alerts going off that said that something, yep. something <laughs> something's happening that should not be happening, Right. And so imagine that's really yeah. the job that we have um, across a, an organization saying there's things that are happening that, and there are things sending off alerts that are notifying that something, yeah. that something nefarious is going on. So now imagine, again, we don't manage a backup system, but imagine that we contacted yeah. Druva or whomever and they said, oh, crap, yeah. and then they went and fixed it, exactly. right? That's really the goal, right? Sounds great. <laughs> Um, so, so we could talk about this for a while and, and also apparently backups, I'm sorry, uh, barbecue and, uh, media streamers and Thai food. Uh, sounds like we have a lot of the same interests, Scott. Um, by the way, you have to come, you know, if you want beer and bourbon are also on my list. So (laughs) there's one, that's one vice we do not share. I'm not a huge, uh, any fan of like bourbon, whiskey, scotch, any of that. I've never. I've never crossed that. But my mom's you, German and my dad's <laughs> Scottish, so I, I don't have a choice. Like, I think it's in I think I think it's in the DNA. Um, I um, 
but if you want to come down to San Diego anytime uh, and, f- and Love you know, San have, Diego. Some, have some actual Mexican food, not the stuff you yes. guys have over there, right? Not the Texas. I used to do a lot of work in UTC, actually. That is, it's a beautiful area. Yeah, it's a, it is, yeah, La Jolla, which is uh, Spanish for expensive AF. <laughs> anyway, um, so. <laughs> So uh, thanks. Thanks a lot, Scott. It's been a great conversation. Ah, thanks for having me. Hopefully it's useful. I know uh, uh, the DR and the backup people out there uh, appreciate the work. And uh, if any of you are, are like, man, I'm not sure if our security is where it needs to be, then feel free to reach out. Scott at SoulCyber.com or obviously SoulCyber.com. And, uh, you can find us. Absolutely. And Persona, thanks again for your great questions. I try. I try. And Scott, good luck with Moose. Hopefully he's quieted down back there. <laughs> <laughs> he is he's already back to his nap it was uh obviously uh he, he wrestled that uh piece of uh sweet potato to the ground so he's happy it's now. A tough tough day to be a dog so i don't we don't have a dog but we have uh we have a grand dog her name is brulee um and uh she's a cockapoo and adorable but uh and her favorite person in the world is my wife for some reason but anyway uh well listen thanks to our listeners Uh, you know, we'd be nothing without you and be sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all.